I don't know about you, but I've, I've sometimes heard people talk about how blessed they are and uh, will say things like this, I'm so blessed, I have great health, I have a loving family, I have a beautiful house to live in, uh, all those kinds of things, I've got good friends around me, and uh, I've just been blessed by God, um, or even people use that word who don't know about God or don't believe in God, they'll still say I'm blessed, as though there's, I don't know who's blessing them, but they're blessed, um, and, and they use that term. And uh, Matthew chapter 5 opens with, a series of blessings um, or blessings and uh, this is uh, what the church is called the Beatitudes um, and the term Beatitude it's just it just comes from a Latin word and the Latin word just means happiness okay so it's not uh, it's nothing fancy here sometimes we have these churchy words but it just means happiness and some translations particularly uh, I think King James uh, was translated happy are those who, um, rather than blessed are. Um, but that's basically uh, what this is about, the Beatitudes, or the, the happy uh, sentences, I suppose, is uh, the Latin uh, way of talking about it. And these, uh, these Beatitudes paint quite a different picture of blessing than how we normally talk about it. So when we talk about I've been blessed with you know, good health and family and friends and all those things, which are blessings, of course, but I don't find that in these things that Jesus talks about. Um, they're, they're just not here. The Beatitudes are something quite different. And, and I think that uh, the Beatitudes are often misused as well, even within the church. Um, what we do is we see lists like this, and we think, well, this must be kind of like an instruction manual where, uh, you know, here's what I've got to do in order to be blessed or to get blessings. Much like the Ten Commandments where you've got sort of a list of ten things and we know, okay, these are the things I should do and these are the things I shouldn't do. That's actually how you use the Ten Commandments. We kind of try to use the Beatitudes in the same way. I want to get blessings, so what do I have to do? What do I have to be like? And my belief is that's actually a misuse of at least four of the Beatitudes, maybe all of them. The Beatitudes are not an instruction manual. We also tend to ask uh, what I think are, are maybe misguided or misplaced questions about the Beatitudes. So we might ask, well, do these things even ring true? Or do we see evidence of the merciful obtaining mercy? Do we see evidence of those who, are, who mourn actually being comforted? Or does it make sense to call the poor in spirit blessed? And we can sort of look over history or look in our lives and we can see over the ages, uh, do we see that there's evidence of these things being true among believers? And it can actually be quite easy to say, no, I don't see a lot of evidence of that. <coughs> But this is kind of the wrong approach or the wrong question. Because the Beatitudes are authoritative words spoken by Jesus about what he makes possible or about how he sees things. And so any evidence to the contrary to the direction of the Beatitudes, it only highlights the need for Jesus to act graciously and mercifully toward us. 
Because what the Beatitudes do is, in, in many ways, they constitute a reversal or a turnaround of what the world does to people or what we do to each other. So another way of thinking about the Beatitudes is that apart from Jesus and the working of the Holy Spirit, the poor in spirit would not receive the kingdom of heaven. The meek would not inherit the earth. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness would never be filled without Jesus and the Holy Spirit. So when we see evidence of those things not happening in our world, well, that just means that, like, that we're in a fallen world. And we really need Jesus. Something else to keep in mind is that the Beatitudes don't actually stand alone. We do this with the Bible all the time. We'll even take one of these, and I was going to do that this morning. I was going to take out the Peacemakers one and talk about that. Um, but we'll do that a lot with the Bible where we take out 10 verses or one verse and we'll, and we'll focus just on that. But actually, the Beatitudes are the introduction to a sermon. Uh, Jesus was giving what was called the Sermon on the Mount. And it's, it's really his most famous speech. It uh, comes, it's Matthew 5, 6, and 7, so it's kind of a few chapters. And um, this is his introduction. This is how he starts. And they introduce the rest of the teaching that Jesus is going to give. And a good introduction, I'm not sure I'm doing a great job of this, but uh, a good introduction is supposed to draw people in. A good introduction sets the tone for what's going to be said. And so a good question to ask might be, well, who gets drawn in to Jesus' sermon? Or Jesus' message? And I think it's the people who are described in the introduction. So the people who are listening, some of them are poor in spirit. Some of them are mourning. Some of them are the meek. Some of them are those who are hungering and thirsting for righteousness. Some of them are the merciful or the pure in heart, the peacemakers. And there are those who are persecuted for the sake of righteousness. They hear themselves in the introduction. And when they hear that, they get drawn in because they want to hear more. Really, I'm blessed. It's how we're supposed to hear these. And when we aren't drawn in by the Beatitudes to hear the rest of the sermon, we kind of have a problem. But we'll come back to that in a minute. So what you see on the screen is uh, uh, someone named Frederick Dale Bruner has uh, kind of divided up the Beatitudes. Lots of scholars have done this, but I think he does it very clear in his commentary on Matthew. And he's divided up. Uh, we've left off the ninth one, and we're, uh, which talks a little more about uh, directly followers of Jesus. But the first... Eight, he's divided into four, four each. So the first four, he calls the need beatitudes, and the last four, the help beatitudes. And so the first four, what's going on is actually there is uh, a group of people that are kind of the downtrodden people of society, and Jesus is talking about how there is going to be a reversal for them, that they will be blessed, or they are blessed, because things will be turned around. The last four, though, are more like a reward for the righteous. So um, something, you will be blessed, you'll receive something because of your good action. So that might be the ones that we might be a little more prescriptive about, about he's here are the things we should aspire to do. But the first four are not prescriptive, they're descriptive. They're just telling you about the reality of something, um, rather than telling you you have to be this way. And so we're going to walk through these, these eight, uh, first eight Beatitudes. The poor in spirit... <laughs> the churches usually wanted to say that 
that the poor in spirit are those who acknowledge their need for God, that they need God to sustain their spiritual life. In other words, we acknowledge that as human beings, we are spiritually poor, that we have spiritual poverty. And it means that we have an awareness of, of how, as human beings, we, we lack something in our spirituality. But for me, and this is kind of what the church has said, but for me, this goes beyond a plain reading of the text. And so I think those ideas are true. I think as human beings, we don't have everything we need spiritually. But I'm not sure this is what Jesus had in mind in the introduction to his sermon. I don't think he's trying to lay out a theology of spiritual poverty. In Luke's gospel, Jesus says, blessed are the poor, not blessed are the poor in spirit. And I don't think there he's trying to teach that poverty is something that we should all work towards because you'll get blessing if, if you are poor. I don't think he's trying to say that. And the same thing here. I think Jesus is addressing people who are struggling spiritually. Poor in spirit might not be as good a term for us to catch the flavor of what Jesus is saying because we've kind of built church theology and maybe baggage around that term. Uh, maybe a better way of saying this is you who are spiritually bankrupt or you who are spiritually burnt out, blessed are you because yours is the kingdom of heaven. And you see how that changes it? Because now it's Jesus just giving you the kingdom. Not you doing anything to become more spiritually poor to earn it. It just gives it away to those who are in need. That's why Bruner says these are the need beatitudes. The second one is maybe a little uh, easier to get our heads around. It's uh, blessed are those who mourn. But yet the church has kind of done the same thing with this one as well. They've often talked about this being actually about those who mourn their own sin. So, in other words, blessed are those who kind of feel bad about themselves and the bad things they've done. And, and I think the reason the church has done that is because we so badly want to make this into a to-do list for ourselves. It's the human attempt to turn the Beatitudes into instruction and, you know, mourning, mourning something in order to receive blessing just doesn't make a lot of sense as an instruction. But I don't think this is what Jesus actually said. His message is that if you're mourning, you'll be comforted. I mean, it's a pretty plain reading, I think. Blessed are those who mourn, for you'll get comfort from me, is what he's saying. The third one, again, we've, we've tried to figure this one out. Blessed are the meek, because no one really knows what to do with the word meek, because we've made a real mess of this one. We've been teaching people, we've taught people to be meek and mild, and so Christians think that we're supposed to be these pushovers who just kind of let people trample all over us, and that's somehow godly. I, I think Albert Schweitzer has a great translation of this word, the meek. And he did this. I don't, I don't remember the year, but it, it's like getting close to 100 years ago now. So you'd think we'd learn. But he translated this as, blessed are the powerless. The Greek word is praise, and it only shows up four times in the Bible. And actually, even in this spot, is the only way it's conjugated in this way. But it's only four times in the New Testament. And it was generally used for people who had no power 
in the eyes of the world. So it wasn't like I feel like I am a meek person. It was everyone else declares me as lower. Like it's, it's me saying to somebody else, you're meek, which is putting them in a powerless kind of position. It, it wasn't generally used for those who had power who were seeking not to abuse their power, right? Like that's what, that's what we think this is about is that, you know, be meek and mild, don't, uh, don't uh, use power. Now, that might be good and true, um, and, and often sometimes this can be translated as lesser than gentle, which I don't think is helpful either, because it, it's trying to show us that these are people who are in a bad situation, a difficult situation, where the world around them is telling them that you are the meek. You are under somebody else's thumb. Yet Jesus calls those people blessed. Then the fourth one is those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And they are hungering and thirsting because they are in a situation that is unjust. Righteousness and justice are exactly the same word in Greek. And so you could think of, say, First Nations people in Canada for years and years and years are hungering and thirsting for righteousness, for things to be put right. Any racial inequality you'll find people who are hungering and thirsting for things to be put right. You think of, of the people um, before Moses was going to lead people out of slavery in Egypt. What were they doing? They were crying out to God for things to be put right. They are crying out to God for righteousness, for justice. That's what this is about. It's not that we should aspire to be hungry and thirsting for righteousness. It's that there are people who are hungry and thirsting for righteousness to happen in their lives. So these are the need beatitudes where Jesus just declares, you are blessed, and the situation you're in will be turned around in me. And it's pretty amazing. This is, this is the heart of the gospel, really. The difficulty you face will be turned around in Jesus. You are blessed. And then there are the other four. And Gruner calls these the help beatitudes. So the first one is, uh, about the merciful, blessed are the merciful, and they will receive mercy. And so I think we have a sense for what being merciful is. It's, it's being forgiving, and it's giving people second chances, and third chances, and tenth chances, and all of that, that side of things. And we kind of have a general idea that that's how we ought to be, even if we have real trouble practicing that. And most of us have some trouble practicing that to, one, to, to varying levels are varying degrees. It's interesting that Jesus says, blessed are the merciful, that shouldn't be too surprising, but they will receive mercy, is the, the other side. And the mercy that they'll receive is from God. It's really important that we understand that it is not reciprocity. So it's not as though I'm merciful to Andrew, and so now Andrew has to be merciful to me. Or that I even expect that. And sometimes we treat, we think we're being merciful, but actually we're treating the relationship that way, right? That's actually not being merciful in the first place. That's sort of expecting somebody to, you do, I do a favor for you, and then you're going to do a favor for me. 
Lots of our relationships are like that. But that's not what Jesus is talking about. True mercy is I will just give to you and there is no expectation of return. Jesus said that kind of mercy, God is merciful to you when you show that kind of mercy. It's not about reciprocity. It's not about expecting a payoff. It's, or even a thank you. That's not what this says. Then he turns to blessed are the pure in heart. And I wonder to myself, how is pure in heart actually a help beatitude? How is this sort of helping someone? You can see how, how having mercy to someone is sort of helping that other person. But I wonder about pure in heart. And Brunner talks about the heart uh, being the center of one's being in the Hebraic culture. The feeling, the thinking, the willing center. Our heart means, uh, it means being centered on God, is what this, this beatitude is talking about, I think. And I think if that's true, I'd like to think that this uh, pure in heart is less about moral purity in the traditional sense and, and more about our decisions and our actions coming from our life being centered on God. Now, certainly, I think that will lead to moral purity, but I, I guess what I'm trying to say is we, we need to have a broader view of what this pure heart is about. Now, if you read the, the Gospels or you read the rest of the New Testament, you, you find that becoming centered on God, the way that you do that is by having your eyes fixed on Jesus and being open to the Holy Spirit, helping uh, your inward gaze stay on Jesus. So I, I don't think this beatitude is, is about keeping to a moral code of conduct or not. And I don't think it's um, something esoteric, like just, you know, just have your heart in the right place. That, that's pure of heart. Just, you know, do the right thing that you feel is the right thing to do. We hear lots of that. I don't think it's talking about that at all. We could also take this beatitude, but I don't think this is right either, to say that this is about scripture study, studying the Bible, or it's about rituals of daily prayer and, and that. The, all those things are great, and they're good, and they might be contained within this. But I think what's talked about here are, are people who keep their interior life focused on God through Jesus. And they're powered by the Holy Spirit in order that their actions, and this is where we get to the help of others, it's so that their actions, particularly their actions toward others, become the actions that God would want. So the pure of heart are those who, in the end, are helping others. The seventh one is blessed are the peacemakers. And we need to remember the Hebrew context of peace. It's shalom is the Hebrew word, and it's way more than just an absence of war. So we think peace just means, you know, nobody, no nations are having fights or anything like that. And, but peace is a, a way bigger thing. And today, you know, we remember those who gave their, their lives for, for the freedom that we enjoy. But we also acknowledge that war is terrible and it's never something that God wants. But it's 
it's difficult because in our broken world, we sometimes need to stand up against forces that seek to destroy human life. And so what do we do? So it's a difficult business to know when war or violence may be the only human answer we have to other human violence. Because we kind of have this sense that it's never really what God's answer is. So being a peacemaker is not really a particularly easy thing. Because it's not as simple as just never fighting. It involves also personal reconciliation. Later we find that in the sermon that Jesus delivers, we find that he's encouraging people to pray for those who persecute you. That's not easy to do. But is that maybe part of being a peacemaker? And he says, these people, they are blessed. And then the eighth one is, blessed are those who persecuted for righteousness' sake. And in essence, this is talking about those who are helping people who find themselves in the situation from Beatitude number four. So those who are hungry and thirsting for righteousness, you now have those people who are trying to work to make sure that justice and righteousness is done. Jesus calls them blessed. Now Jesus opened his most famous speech with these Beatitudes. And, and you always open with something, or you're going to try to open with something that will draw people in. And I can imagine the people sitting, listening to him, and some of them really identifying with the first category, the need Beatitudes. They are in real need in their lives. And they're suddenly hearing someone with authority standing up and saying, you are blessed. But some of them identify with the second category. They, they don't have an obvious need. They're generally all right. But they're doing what they can to love their neighbor as God loves them. And so they kind of hear themselves in the other four Beatitudes. And think, oh, they hear Jesus say, you are blessed for being the pure of heart, for working for righteousness and justice. But some of them sitting there, and some of us, may not be drawn in at all. And this is problematic. In Brenner's commentary, he has this, uh, this quote that I really liked. It says, God helps those who cannot help themselves, the need Beatitudes. And God also helps those who try to help others, the help Beatitudes. But he does not, in any Beatitude, help those who think they can help themselves. And I think he's absolutely right when he says that. The Beatitudes don't teach us how to get blessing. But they do show us a stance to receive blessing. And many times we're just not in that stance. For me, I think in the end there are two categories of Christian life, which are right here in Jesus' introduction to his sermon, which he then expands on in the rest of it. And the first category is we are helpless or we're in need. And we'll all experience that at some time in our lives. 
second category of the Christian life is we help those in need. And when you're in one of those two categories, you will hear the words of Jesus and you will be drawn in for more. You will be blessed. You are blessed. When you find that you're not in one of those two categories, then you've got to take a look inside at yourself. Are you deluding yourself that you have no need? Or that you can take care of yourself? Or perhaps things are generally okay, but you're living your life as though, well, I'm fine. It doesn't matter about anybody else. For the true follower of Jesus, we can't live that way. The true follower of Jesus will be keenly aware of his or her need, and will also be aware that because God's love does, we are called to love our neighbor. So we can't stay sort of in no man's land with these two categories, with these Beatitudes. Read them over. I challenge you this week to read them over again and think about who am I in these Beatitudes? Where am I drawn in to the words of Jesus? And then go read the rest of his sermon. There's a few more chapters and some really challenging stuff that he puts in there, but also some amazing, gracious, and loving words from Jesus. You will be blessed by those words. You are blessed. Amen.